Welcome to Heels in the Courtroom, a podcast about successfully navigating law and life, featuring the women trial attorneys at the Simon Law Firm. Hi there, and welcome back to another episode of Heels in the Courtroom. I'm Liz Lenevy, and today I'm joined by Amy Gunn, Megan Crow, Elizabeth McNulty, and Erica Slater. Today we wanted to talk about impeachment, specifically impeaching experts with prior testimony. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is because I had a recent conundrum where I thought I had maybe screwed up by using prior testimony of an expert too soon. And I'll just set the stage a little bit. Recently, I was taking the deposition of a defense expert, medical doctor. He's an orthopedic surgeon. The specifics of the case were it was an ankle surgery. And one of the allegations that that we had put forth as far as what the defendant doctor had done negligently was not putting the pieces of the ankle back together. And I had spent a lot of time learning about the medicine, learning the anatomy, learning about the surgery. And throughout my research, I had also looked into this defense expert. And in doing so, I found a couple of depositions. Some very nice fellow plaintiff's law firms had very graciously sent me copies of prior depositions of this same expert. And in one of those depositions, it seemed like it was almost an identical injury, identical surgery and identical act of negligence that specifically in that case, the defendant doctor had not, to keep it simple, put the pieces quite back together of the the ankle joints and ligaments. And I thought this was really great testimony. My concern was, I don't know if I know the medicine well enough to try to pull this off at trial. So my thinking was, I will take this and incorporate this prior testimony into my deposition. That way I can lock him into really good testimony. Because the other concern I had was, this expert doctor had already gone through a similar case before, and so was he just like, I get better after every deposition. I assume these experts get better after every deposition. And my concern was that because he had given such good testimony before, he was going to find a way medically using his education and and the fact that he knows more about this topic than I ever will because of his background to find a way to weasel out of it if I tried to just spring it on him at trial. So my thought process was I will use it in his deposition to lock him into good testimony now. So that way, going into trial, I know what his testimony testimony will be. And just like the prior attorney who took his deposition will be able to really hold his feet to the fire with that prior testimony, he won't be able to weasel out of it so much. So I was feeling good about that deposition and the testimony I was able to get out of this expert. About a week and a half, maybe two weeks later, I'm at a seminar getting my CLE hours, and one of the presenters is a very well-known, very experienced, well-respected trial attorney, and the presentation he's giving is deposing experts, how to effectively depose experts. And one of his tips, and he is emphatic about it, is that if you find good prior testimony, never bring it up in the deposition. You always save that for trial. And I immediately start to panic because I'm thinking, did I screw that up? This is apparently such a well-known, clear, obvious rule, and I blew it. And I talked to a couple of the other ladies in the firm about what I had done and what I had learned and did I screw this up. And luckily, it all worked out. That case is settled. 
But I wanted to use what I've learned in my experience and also the conversations that I've had with you all and share it with our listeners about how do you effectively impeach expert witnesses with prior testimony. So I'll start with a really basic question. Why does impeachment matter? Liars lose. Sometimes. (laughs) (laughs) It does go to a really important point of the strongest cross-examination you can have is when you can undermine and undercut the credibility of the other side's expert witness, right? You want to be able to make yourself look credible and make them look like a liar because now anything else that they've said, hopefully it will cast a shadow of a doubt in the jurors' minds. So that's why impeachment is so important. And I understand if you've got really good prior testimony, you want to save that for trial because it gives your opponent less time to prepare. If you can spring it on them. And I'll even say it was very obvious to me when I took the deposition of this expert that the opposing counsel was not aware of this prior testimony. He seemed very caught off guard by it. So did the expert. The expert had no memory of giving this deposition and no memory of this prior testimony. And sure enough, even in that deposition where I tried to be really deliberate with my questions and I tried to follow along closely with how the prior attorney had asked his questions, that way it would match up impeachment wise, he tried to find a way to wiggle out of it. In my mind, if I had tried to do that same line of questioning in front of a jury, I ran the risk of him possibly wiggling out of it or it being so messy, so convoluted, so medically complicated that the jury, even if I understood he was lying, the jury may not understand and may not catch on. And then it's completely ineffective. It doesn't matter if you've proven to yourself that he's a liar if you can't also show it to the jury. I think the seminar that you saw where the advice was never, ever use it in a deposition is solid advice most of the time. However, if you have a case that you are trying to push to settlement, trying to influence the defense attorney or intimidate that expert, and you're pretty sure this is a case that should settle, then I think it should be used in the deposition. In the case that you're describing, we did settle that case. Who's to say it wasn't partly because you destroyed their expert in their deposition? And so I think like most things, it's on a case-by-case basis. The reason to hold it to trial is that if you show your cards at a deposition, then that just gives that expert more time to think of a reason why it is not directly impeachable or his answers at trial won't be directly contrary to what he said in his deposition. So you could lose the element of surprise that you would see in front of a jury, because as we all know, juries don't believe us when we say somebody's a liar. They have to see it for themselves and believe it for themselves. So I can see both sides of that. If you know your case and you're the only one that knows your case and you think using this nugget to impeach this expert in that moment will push you toward the settlement which you believe should happen in the case, then you should do it. The other issue, of course, is the right way to impeach. And I am constantly annoyed and amazed about how it's not done correctly. And maybe it's because doing it correctly is kind of boring. It's not real sexy. But the proper way to do it is to ask questions and get answers. And if I really think the expert or the witness is going to change his or her testimony, 
you can kind of feel it coming in their direct testimony. You can kind of feel it coming. Like they're kind of switching around. They're dodging and weaving, filling holes. And so I will go up with the deposition and I will ask the same question to the witness at trial in person that I asked on the page in the deposition and hope for a different answer. And then if that happens, you say, Dr. Jones, do you remember giving a deposition in this case? Uh, yes. And was that deposition on June 1st, 2020? Yes. Do you have a copy of your deposition in front of you? No, I don't. May I hand you a copy? Yes, you may. Judge, may I approach the prince? Yes. Dr. Jones, I'm handing you what's been previously marked as Exhibit 214. Is that your deposition? Yes. Was that deposition taken under oath? Yes. Was there a lawyer there sitting next to you while you gave your testimony? Yes. In fact, this wasn't the first time you've ever given a deposition, is it? No. In fact, you've given, I don't know, 75, 100 depositions last time I counted. Uh, maybe. I don't really know the answer. Well, with respect to this deposition on this date, June 1st, 2020, would you agree with me? This is what I ask you. Blah, 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 blah. And your answer was no. Is that correct? That's correct. And that's it. And then you're like, well, where's the wow? And that's why it's usually not done correctly. And I sort of embellished a lot right there, which you probably wouldn't want to do because by that time, the jury has forgotten what the previous answer is. But you might want to reiterate it. You might want to do it in a way that's very strict like that. If your witness is on the stand and the lawyer's attempting to impeach that witness, you better be ready to jump up if they're doing things like, well, doctor, you didn't say that in your previous deposition, did you? You said just the opposite, blah, 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 blah. That is not proper impeachment. And a judge should sustain that every time. And Erica, I know that in the case that you and I just tried a few weeks ago, there was an issue about impeachment at trial of a witness with previous deposition testimony. And what was the issue there? Let me give you some quick background. This baby is born, it's birth injury case, and is at the NICU at the hospital that the baby was born. Then didn't have any other care at that hospital subsequently. And the hospital hired an expert from a different children's hospital in town that our child, client, had treated with that hospital. And in the course of his treatment, which was after he left the NICU, this doctor who the hospital hired as an expert had actually read some of this child's films. The films at issue were brachial plexus film, so a cervical MRI, and also a head MRI. So the defense attorneys hired this guy to only read the MRI that was taken at their own hospital and nothing with the care and treatment that he provided to this child. Now, it's a radiologist, so they often don't meet the family. They don't have a lot of clinical information other than what's on the requisition form, and they read the scan as they do a hundred others that day. They sign off on their reading of the scan and good night. But the hospital hired this expert, put him up for a deposition. So Amy and I were going back and forth because the hospital where this expert works has a expert witness testimony policy. And one of the items of that policy is you cannot testify in a case where first and foremost, it's one of our patients. And secondly, you can't testify where the underlying care is at the hospital where this expert works. And both of those things applied to the case. 
You're also supposed to turn in this form that has conflict checks to make sure that policy is followed. And this expert testifies for a lot of defense attorneys in town. He's well known to us, but also someone that we know had a prior relationship with these attorneys. The reason why we were deciding what to do with this information, meaning crossing him on the fact that our client was a patient of his and crossing him with the policy from his institution was twofold. First, that expert had a limited issue at trial, which really wasn't an issue that we disputed. The other thing was I did read several of his depositions in other cases that had the same issue as ours, and he gave pretty favorable testimony for us. So what we decided in the end was to play it by ear, see how he testified. The issue was if we used the impeachment material, we thought we were going to make sure he didn't show up at trial. I ended up using it in the deposition because I could tell from the way he was testifying, he had no idea who this family was. He had no idea that they treated at the hospital he worked at. I finished crossing him on the actual issues and then said, doctor, when did you realize that our client is your patient? <laughs> and he <What>? just <laughs> fell. His face like fell and he's like, uh, uh, he's not. Mm -hmm. I'm like, well, sir, you read scans at this hospital, don't you? Yes, I do. You understand from looking at closely at the records, right, that this child treated at your hospital and that on this date, let me bring up a record for you. Yeah. Perhaps and so, this will and I just stepped memory. real slow through it and you kind of see his realization unfolding. And my favorite part was that right before I started this line of questioning, I said, do you plan to come live to trial? And he said, if asked, yes. And I'm like, okay. And then I started in with this cross-exam. And it was really devastating for him. And I did it slowly and methodically. But at the end of that, I said, now, doctor, knowing what you know now, are you planning to testify live at trial? <laughs> and he just like fell into his seat. And he's like, well, you know, now that I am seeing, uh, looks like I messed up. And uh, <laughs> that's exactly how he said it. Looks like I messed up. I think I need to talk to my risk manager and yeah, I, I assume they uh, won't want me to testify. And, you know, keep in mind the whole time, the defense attorney, her face is funnier than the doctor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just watching the Hollywood squares and they're just like, oh, uh oh. Anyway, so we talked to several attorneys in the office about it, kind of got everyone's opinion and I went for it and it worked for us. And it was hilarious. It worked for us because he didn't come to trial. He didn't come to trial. And we let the hospital out. But the doctor was thinking about picking him up yeah. and decided not to. But it was hilarious to see the pretrial motions. Like, literally, the defense attorneys were asking the judge to not allow us to cross-examine their expert on these issues. And the judge was like, yeah, no, that's coming in. Yeah, That'll that's be coming in. Yeah, absolutely. But there's another expert in that case that I had a ton of background on because this doctor only testifies in shoulder dystocia cases in favor of physicians and, you know, the entire nationwide group of plaintiff's attorneys who do birth injury cases, this guy's on their radar. So I had like 50, 60 of his depositions and all of his impeachment materials. And he's like giving conferences to residents about how to avoid getting sued and the right things to say so you don't get sued. And here's, you know, medical malpractice cases and how they're destroying our profession and all this stuff, right? But we say 
saved all of that. I didn't need to talk to him about that at all. You can use that the right way at trial and save those things. Because what does it gain you when you're impeaching with kind of outside matters like that with an expert? All it does is give them notice of it. And you don't need to let the defense attorneys know like, hey, I got a bunch of dirt on your expert because they wouldn't believe it anyway. Like if you told them, they'd be like, great, thank you for letting me know so I can find a way to minimize that. So you're never going to get an advantage when it's kind of those outside collateral issues. But Liz, as you were saying with your expert, when it's directly on point, you might not actually impeach them with the deposition, but it's wonderful to know that there is that deposition testimony to impeach so you can set up the exact same questions that they asked in that prior depo and see if the answer has changed in your deposition. Because you can bet that when you ask that question again at trial, they're going to stick to what they said in your deposition and then you get to come in with the impeachment. But I mean... I'm kind of with Amy. It might settle your case if it's a case where they have one expert or the whole case is riding on that expert and you know it's something that you can push for settlement or push for higher value even by showing them their expert doesn't have a leg to stand on. Part of the thinking was actually a, a trial that you and I had a couple years ago, Amy. It was back in 2016. I remember I had just gotten engaged. Um, and it was a, an epidural abscess case. And in this particular case, the epidural abscess had been in the C-spine up towards the neck. And our expert it was our expert in the case, had given some kind of bad testimony, but it had to do with the lumbar spine. Mm -hmm. And I remember we were both a little bit caught off guard by this testimony. Our expert was a little caught off guard. But, and this is my thinking too, you went up to the judge and you pointed out the fact that these are two different parts of the spine. How are you going to impeach an expert, a medical expert on their prior medical testimony when you're talking about two different parts of the body? And it worked. And it clearly sounds like some good lawyering. I have yes. no recollection of these events. <laughs> well, well, I'm, so I'm sitting here like de developing the defense attorney's <laughs> argument of like, it's the spine, Judge. Exactly. That was so good that was on his you. argument was, well, Judge, it's all part of the spine. It's all part of the spine. It's all one long segment in your body. And it, start, it doesn't matter if it's at the C spine or the T spine or the L spine or S. It doesn't matter. It doesn't Same matter. Structure. It's all the spine. I don't know. I'm starting to be convinced. It's right. all in the body. Yes. And, and Amy was like, you can't use it for impeachment when it's two different parts of the spine. They operate differently. The surgeries are different, different effect on the body. They are not one-to-one -one equivalent. Judge, you can't let him impeach on this. And the judge didn't allow it. And it clearly flustered. That was the right answer. Yes. <laughs> but it clearly flustered the defense attorney because it was obvious that he had all of this testimony ready to go to impeach our expert. And he had to scrap two pages of his outline because it wasn't medically equivalent enough to allow that impeachment. And so that was also something that had stuck with me of if you're going to use especially something as complicated as medicine to impeach someone with their prior testimony, you have to be sure that it really is equivalent one to one. 
And that was my concern, at least in this case. So that's something that I've been thinking about is, you know, when you've got something good, when do you use it for impeachment? And I know, Erica, you and I actually had a pretty lengthy conversation about how to use specific information for impeachment purposes of an expert. Well, so I don't know. I'm actually going to fall on the sword a little bit on this one because I realized something about cell phone records in a case where my client, who was coming home from high school to eat lunch at his house, he was on his way home for lunch and he got rear-ended by a Mack dump truck full speed on like a 45-mile-an-hour road. He slowed down to make a left into a subdivision. And this Mack dump truck, because we have it all on video, the driver was yelling out the window at a passing driver who had like made a weird turn earlier. He cut everyone else off. Yeah. But it didn't affect him that much. Like, no, it was a big overreaction. Yes, totally. And we know it was an overreaction. It was caught on camera. (laughs) Exactly. I haven't had that many cases where the truck actually does have video. I always hear trucks have video and I don't have that many cases with them. Maybe it works. Maybe that's why people drive safer if they're on video. But this is one of my first trucking cases with video and I've never seen it more vigorously defended. So the theory of comparative fault for our client was that he stopped too short. And also he was 16. It was not in Missouri. It was in a different state with different license laws. He had like a graduated driver's license, like not a full driver's license. And he was actually supposed to have a driver over 21 in the car with him. And he thought he was able to go to work in school without a parent in the car. And no matter what, you can't touch your cell phone if you have one of these graduated licenses. So they got his cell phone records because you see him using his phone right after the accident to call his dad. And they got his text message records as well. And the phone call is on there and it matches up with the time and the video. And we were actually able to time things in the video because, you know, we see him call his dad and we could match that up with the cell phone records. Okay, great. And those times are in central time. Well, his cell phone records for the text messages, they hired an expert to testify that based on his route from his high school to his home, two or three of the text messages he had sent to his girlfriend would have been when he was driving. And that that would have, A, been a violation of his license, which I don't know how that was relevant, but they convinced the judge it was relevant in some way, shape, or form. Wrong answer. And also they were going to use that evidence to show that he was distracted by his phone waiting for a return text message from his girlfriend. And that's why he stopped short. So thin, so ridiculous, but the judge was going to let it in. And the defense attorney, like staked his career on arguing for these things to get in. (laughs) And so I'm sitting there and and Liz and I are trial prepping and I'm looking at the records and I look at it and the information in black and white on those pages is that the call records are in central time and the text message records are in Pacific time. So that means the 11 a.m. time frame text messages are two hours later to his girlfriend after he's been in a rear end accident that day. So this poor kid, you know, has been blamed for like causing this accident because apparently he's so needy. He can't put down his phone while waiting for a text message response from his girlfriend. And did he deny that he'd done that in his deposition? Yeah, he said he wasn't using his phone. And, you know, they're sitting here like, but I have text messages. So when I was cross-examining this guy about the text messages and everything else, I'm cross-examining the expert as if that's the actual time. 
And it was really kind of funny to go back and be like, oh, and then at trial, I get to say, so yeah, did dude. you notice? I mean, an expert are you that can't figure out Pacific versus Central time, yeah. dude. And so it's almost, I could play it off that it was intentional. But when I found this, it was after this, you know, gauntlet of a pretrial. We were getting really close to trial. Liz and I had conversations about one do we bring it up in front of the judge that everything this defense attorney has said is not based on the actual records? Or do we bring it up with the defense attorney? Or do we wait for trial? So we made one decision, then I slept on it. And then we made another decision, then I slept on it again. And finally, <laughs> we landed somewhere in the middle. And I do think it helped get the case settled. Not because it was such a bomb issue to have learned, but because the defense attorney knew how hard he argued for that to make a comparative issue at all and that was his only evidence of comparative there was evidence that he like told his expert what opinion he wanted and yeah. his expert came back and said yeah i can say that yeah like that's in the correspondence so he knew he was going to lose credibility in front of the jury so it did get it settled for exactly the amount that i emailed one of our partners like six months before and i'm like they're gonna pay this and they told me for six months that we're never to pay that. It's like, well, if you don't read the records, you might. Yeah. <laughs> the thing that I still remember from that conversation, because you ultimately went the route of talk to the defense counsel to try to get it settled, right? And I just, I remember telling you when you have that conversation, let me know so I can come down to your office because I want to be on the phone when you tell him how badly you just caught him in a lie or an error. Doesn't matter. Both look bad. And I just remember being surprised by his reaction of this doesn't change anything. But it clearly did change something because oh, well, the case what's got he settled. Say? <laughs> well, you know, He's double I mean, down like everybody does. Who yeah, knows that was wrong. his, his I, knee jerk. And yeah. then we hung up the phone and then literally the mediator called me an hour and a half later. Yeah. Right. Like, I have a new right. offer for you. And I'm like, that's interesting. Yeah. Oh, Is that, that a coincidence? How about that? It's all posturing. Now, don't let me talk up myself too big because it took like another week to settle, but still. Something I think that we've been alluding towards, but I think it's worth noting is how important it is to do your own homework before taking depositions of experts. Also, while finding your own experts, make sure to do your own homework. Ask them if they've ever given a deposition where they might have given contrary opinions, if they've ever written anything, because so often, and I think a lot of our stories come from this, opposing counsel isn't doing their homework. They're hiring experts that have said, you know, XYZ, all sorts of crazy stuff, and they often are contradicting themselves. But you have to do the work to find that kind of deposition testimony, something that's a little bit harder, and you have to do some more digging, finding written materials like journal articles, especially in med mal cases. We find that a lot where they've written stuff that's going against what they're saying, and it goes against their credibility. And I think that it really hurts them. Obviously, deposition testimony is a lot better, it's a lot cleaner to impeach them with, but journal articles are certainly very valuable but it does take a lot of time. But as you've heard today, it is certainly worth it and will definitely increase the value of your case. So you want to put in that work. That's definitely something that's worthwhile because, you know, the more tenacious you are about digging up that dirt, there's always tons of stuff out there, especially in the days of social media. You can find a lot of good stuff out there. I think that goes both ways, too, because 
If you do personal injury work, especially in fields, whether it's product liability or medical malpractice, where you see certain experts routinely and repeatedly, you know what experts you're working with and what experts the defense is hiring or the opposing counsel. This isn't one side or the other. Those experts are flexible or they stretch. You understand that they're going to say anything and be cautious with using those types of people yourself, because that's when you get into the issues of, oh my gosh, what's out there that they've said differently in the same set of facts. And that's when experts get caught. It's kind of that rule of you don't have to remember your lies if you're always telling the truth. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Kind of along those lines, and Liz, you kind of mentioned this at the very beginning of not necessarily wanting to wait till trial because what if they try and weasel out of it? And that's something that I'm always hesitant to wait about. In my mind, I kind of tend to lean more towards doing the impeachment in the deposition because I'm so afraid of if at trial it gets there, it's not going to be this mic drop moment, how I envision it in my head. And it's going to be more of a, well, it's not black and white and there's some wiggle room or the literature has changed or they're going to find some way to explain around it. And I guess like, how do you get over the fear of that versus like, how do you like know it's going to be a real wow moment for the jury? That was my concern, that it was just going to be too sloppy. And even in the deposition, there were times where it wasn't going as smoothly as I wanted. And at one point, Actually, at a couple of points, the defense attorney objected that I was doing an improper impeachment, which my response is, it's a deposition. (laughs) I can impeach however I want. (laughs) We're not in front of the judge and the jury right now. But it took a while. I think if you have something that's so clean and straightforward and easy of look in this deposition, you said the sky was green. And in this deposition, you're saying the sky is purple. And those are two conflicting answers. And it's going to be easy for the jury to see that now you're lying. Either you were lying then or you're lying now. Either way, you're a liar. Then go for it. But in a situation, especially where you've got a complicated topic like medicine or engineering or whatever the topic may be, I think that there is some benefit to maybe pulling it up in the deposition and just locking in whatever that good testimony is now. And also, it then will hopefully keep them from when they're on direct in front of the jury being able to give their opinions that sound so good for the other side, because now the other side knows that if they try to do that in direct, you're going to get up there and just destroy them. So, again, I watched that presentation by this attorney who said, never, ever, ever, don't ever do this. And I thought, did I screw up? And now I'm realizing there's actually a lot more nuance to this topic. So thank you, ladies, all so much for sharing all of your experience and your insight. And thank you all for listening. And I hope that this was just as educational and informative for you as it has been for me over the last couple of weeks that I've been struggling with this issue. Remember that you can tune in for new episodes of Heels in the Courtroom every Wednesday. And if you have any comments or questions, you can reach out to us at heelsinthecourtroom.law. And we can't wait to talk to you again. Thanks so much. Bye. Amy, Liz, Erica, Mary, Elizabeth, and Megan would love to hear from you. Send your thoughts to comments at heelsinthecourtroom.law and check out other legal podcasts in the Simon Law Firm Library. The Jury is Out with John Simon focuses on lifelong learning to elevate your practice. Subscribe today. Subscribe today.